Thank you for joining me for episode 5 of Wrong Side of the Maelstrom. I'm your host, Ian, and unfortunately, Jason and I have been separated by a warp storm for the past month, and he was unable to come on for this episode. Fortunately, my friend Aaron, aka General Soban, is joining me for this episode. Tonight, we will be discussing games played, hobby progress, uh, Fantasy Flight games, Star Wars Armada, a great fleet game, and during our main segment, we will be doing an overview of campaigns and then digging deep to the Romanov Heresy, a campaign that Aaron and I are launching on January 3rd. This is a Southern Ontario Warhammer 40k podcast, and if you haven't already, subscribe to it on iTunes or SoundCloud, like our Facebook page, and visit our blog on itoysoldiers.com. And we'll be seeing you on the wrong side of the maelstrom. <laughs> You are now entering the wrong side of the maelstrom with your hosts Ian Clough and Jason McKendry. Okay, I'm here with Aaron, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, man. Oh, anytime. Um, Unfortunately, Jason and I, being uh, 400 kilometers apart, haven't been able to get together and record, but we're going to record over the Christmas break. He's off work, I'm done school, so... But uh, fortunately, Aaron offered to jump on with me. So, um, how about you introduce yourself? How long have you been playing? What games you play? Stuff like that. Cool, that sounds cool. Um, well, hi, I'm Aaron Shear, or you may have seen me online uh, as General Soban on YouTube and also... Uh, I have a blog, General Soban and the Great Crusade. Um, I've been playing for 20 years, playing Warhammer, playing all sorts of tabletop games. Uh, regular Warhammer, Warhammer 40k, uh, Battlefleet Gothic, I, I play X-Wing, Armada, um, also play some Bolt Action. Um, That's, what is Bolt Action? Is that uh, World War II? Or? Bolt Action, yeah, it's World War II, okay. um, and you can play... Uh, major, the major players and some of the major allies, uh, and you can play in your faction, and it starts all the way from early war, so invasion of Poland, mm-hmm. and then you can make something all the way up to the fall of Berlin, 1945, so nice. it's pretty cool. Uh, the minis are pretty, pretty, they're pretty good, 28 mm-hmm. millimeter, same as uh, Warhammer. Oh, okay, cool. Um, the only thing is, since it's, I hate building their tanks, that's it. <laughs> nice. Okay, so you've been hobbying, wargaming for a long time. Yeah, uh, most of my life. (laughs) So what what armies do you have for 40k? Uh, Presently, uh, I have an assortment of space marines. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got a 30k Luna Wolves army. Yeah, very beautiful Luna Wolves army. Sweet, sweet. I appreciate it. Um, I also have an Imperial Guard army. Uh, That's just... Different worlds all mixed together, mostly Tanith and Cadian. Okay. And then I have Elfway Eldar at home. I've never seen your Eldar. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, they're very much a show army, and it was built for third and fourth edition. So mm. Seer Council, Star Cannons, Guardian Blobs. Nice. Uh, before you could get Wave Serpents in bulk. Yeah. So old school. Oh yeah, absolutely Sick. love it. And uh. Mostly what I've seen you riding lately is your Luna Wolves. You've been pushing 30k really hard in the oh, club. 
Yeah, uh, I absolutely love 30K. It's 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 my passion. It's well, let's for me. It's it's honestly you got to play the Great Crusade. You got to play the Horse Heresy. You have Primarchs. You have like <laughs> some of the big characters from the novels. You got Loken. You got like uh, Lucius. You know Armin before they all get corrupted too. Yeah. Abaddon. Oh yeah, who's terrible in 30k? Just, just as a heads up. Really, absolutely terrible. I mean, I know I killed him with the solitaire once, but yeah, he can be <laughs> instant killed by anything. I see. Okay, so uh, and there's a nice, uh, there's a nice game balance. Uh, 30k armies against 30k because it's pretty much you got your main legion armies and then mm-hmm. you got some extras and uh, yeah, but it's it's pretty fun, I, I think. Cool. Alright, um, so what have you been working on recently, hobby-wise? Um, well, right now, uh, me and my uh, buddy, uh, who's helping me out with the uh, blogs, mm-hmm. uh, we're working on a couple armies. Um, we're looking, personally, I'm doing Raven Guard. Uh, he's looking nice. to finish his Imperial Fists, uh, and he's going to start his World Leaders. And then we're working together on a uh, Night House. So we're looking to get three or four knights uh, so that we can run as an allied detachment. Sick. And lastly, we're trying to get a Warhound Titan, hopefully. Is this, this is all 30k armies, All right? 30k. Yeah. All 30k. Um, but uh, you can use the Titan, you can use the knights, and you can use the infantry and regular 40k too. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, I've been focusing mostly on my Dark Elevator, getting them up scratch. Uh, I finished my... Hero's Path Harlequin okay. attachment. So I had a Shadow Seer and a Death Jester. Mm-hmm. They're both painted, finished now. They have to be based. But I'm doing the Frozen Stars color scheme. So that's like black and white. Okay. With like a splash of color here and there. They yeah. look pretty good. Um, other thing, I finally finished my second Ravager. That's been on that's, my desk for ages. That's good, man. It's still needs a few more spikes, but the guns are on there. The crew's on there. It's... It's built. It's playable. Because I wasn't using it in the league. There's a league running a Brimstone in Windsor right now, and I had wasn't using it, so I was like short of Ravager for most of the league. Oh, man. Yeah. That, that definitely hurt, eh? Yes, it did, because I'm like tied for last place right now. Well, so. <laughs> in your Dark Eldar, like, uh, how many like Ravagers, regular boats that you have, or Venoms? That I... That you use on a um, basis. Okay, well, I've got the two Ravagers mm-hmm. that are the newer models. I have two old Ravagers, but they're in, like, really shoddy condition, so I don't run them unless it's, like, a big... I ran them during an APOC game, which I'll talk about. And then I have a ton of uh, Raiders of, like, new and old, okay. which I've been slow... That's the other thing I've been doing, slowly fixing up my old Raiders, like, swapping out parts and stuff, because they, they're from third editions. So they're, like, at least... 15 years old. That's my favorite edition. Yeah. And then I fixed up a Venom I bought used, threw on some old school Splinter Cannons, so that's, uh, it, it's kind of like weird looking because it's got like a meld of the old and the new models, but that's, um, that's finally built. I've had that sitting around for a while, so. So your army just has like, it went out to a junkyard and just grabbed all these raiders and fixed <laughs> them up, blinged them up, put some gold on it too. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, it's a it's a poor cabal. It's not very big, <laughs> but it's uh, making a name for itself. Oh, that's, uh, cool. that's pretty much all I've been working on. It's been a while since I last recorded, but it's yeah, I haven't been. I've been gaming a lot, not so yeah. much painting or playing. I, yeah, I think that's about all I've got painted. 
um, Wraith Guard were done. I don't know if that was before the last issue episode. I but, think it was on your last episode. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, I picked up some Rangers, so I have a complete allied detachment now for my Eldar. So I always love Rangers. Um, yeah, that was sick. yeah, that was one of my uh, in my Elfway army. I think I got something like. Maybe fifteen, maybe maybe even twenty Rangers. Yeah, I just love them. They're I just nice. I have like five or six. That's it. <laughs> just the minimum I need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um. Anything else hobby wise? Oh, we got that tournament coming up in Windsor. We yeah. mentioned. So, uh, Zarin Canal on the forums, uh, aka Tyler, is running a tournament mid January. I believe it's the sixteenth. Sixteenth. Yeah. It's on a Saturday at Brimstone Games off Walker Road in Windsor. And 1,000-point tournament? Yeah, it's a 1,000-point tournament. Uh, Your models have to be at least a three-painted scheme. Uh, It's uh, a slightly tweaked uh, Highlander format, which is very interesting. That's right, yeah. Um, So it's going to be a very interesting thing. Um, The only duplicates you can have is maybe one troop choice. You can take each troop twice, I think, yeah. is the is yeah. what the rule is. And then it's um, one combined arms detachment. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's a thousand points. So you're not going to be taking a lot of duplicates anyways, even yeah. if that restriction wasn't there. So. Yeah, and uh, Lord of Wars are uh, restricted. You can't take any super heavy, so there's no knights going to be in this. Yeah, or gargantuan creatures. Yes. So. Uh, I think no. that leaves, what, the right knight, maybe? No, it's a gargantuan creature, no. Oh. Which fucking bullshit anyways yes. um, uh, but that you could take like special characters like Dante or someone oh yeah, yeah Marnius yeah. Kalkar those guys oh and also there is 30k allowed in this tournament no other forge world though uh, which was an interesting uh, tweak uh, but you cannot take a Primark at all so, yeah that makes sense yeah <laughs> it's no no I can't bring Horst out to this you can't bring half your points as one model yeah, it'd be awesome though. Just throw a horse out there. Just that bullshit. What did it deep strike him by himself, man? Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you're in the Windsor area, check that out. If you go to itoysoldiers.com, you can sign up there and see all the details and the rules. There's slight rules treat, tweaks similar to um, ITC format. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the other thing, I think it's ten dollar entry. Ten dollars to prize support. Yeah, so pure prize support, which is nice. Which is nice. Mm-hmm. So, uh, from what I've seen on signups, it might be what eight people so far. I'm not sure. I, I haven't decided which army I'm running, so I haven't signed up yet. If it's going to be my Blood Angels or my Dark Elder. Oh, you got to so. throw the Blood Angels out, man. Well, I'm running them in the next campaign, which okay. we can talk about. But yeah, um, games played. Uh, what have you? Ooh. What games do you want to talk about? Ooh, let's see. Games played. There was um, the one, the 30k one that we played oh. with Jesse. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Okay. Um, so we just played a 30k campaign probably last week. You um, and Jesse did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, me and Jesse did. Uh, which is going to be part of a narrative that will be shown on my blog hopefully nice. next week maybe. <laughs> uh, it's always fun trying to get some blog up around the holidays. Um, and then me and Ian and Jesse, we played a 2v1 30k match. Yeah, 3,000 points. You guys split your points up and I yeah. ran three grand. Yeah, and uh, me and Jesse, it was a quick list. Uh, 
We took two Spartans uh, and a Sicarian Ventor, uh, which is just scary. It's a tank destroyer. Yeah, it's it's a scary. It's hatred. And you had like two or three land raiders between you guys. Yeah, I had one. I had my one Spartan. Uh, Jesse had a Spartan and a land raider, and then he took uh, as an he's an Imperial Fist player. So he took their right of war, um, which gives plus one toughness if there's three guys in a unit that have shields. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they give some other bonuses, and he had two breacher squads, which was pretty solid. Yeah, and I was running my storm guard as blood angels, and I had thirty assault marines, thirty attack marines, a uh, contemptor, mm-hmm. um, a command squad with a praetor. So I ran the sanguinary guard. Yeah. They were like actually most of my army looked the part. There were yeah. a few weapons that were proxied. Yeah, and but then, it's pretty much what you see is what you get. Yeah, and then a big unit of Cataphracty Terminators yeah, there with the four plus in ball. And to top it all off, I ran my Shadow Sword because yeah. that's really the only thing I have that can kill tanks in that army. Except I could run a missile launcher Devastator, excuse me, Devastator squad, but that's not really going to cut it against land raiders. No, no, especially uh, Flare Shield. Spartans. They're actually bullshit, more like. <laughs> I hate those things so yeah. much. So, for those that don't know, in 30k, on uh, certain vehicles, I think there's only two uh, that can have it. It's called a flare shield. So, in your front arc, it's either a negative one strength, or if it's a blast, it's a negative two strength. So, rocket launchers ain't gonna cut it. Last cannons are now like, well... Strength eight, so the glancing on sixes. A Spartan, for people who don't know, it's a big land raider. So it can carry 25 guys, yep. it's got like quad las cannons yes. instead of double and like a heavy bolter yeah. in front. Or it can change it up for a laser destroyer. Yeah, better las cannons. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can give it flare shield, so yep. minus one strength if you're attacking the front, and armored ceramite where everything except close combat ignores uh, Melta. Yep, yep. And so I don't know what else. <laughs> yeah, and then it had... Reroll. Uh, it could fix itself from immobilization. It has extra armor. It's just a giant hawking tank that's gonna crush. That, that's nigh on unkillable, really. Yeah. Actually, I almost had it because I uh, one of my assault squads was carrying melta bombs, and they got close to it, but I just couldn't yeah. cinch it. They just whiffed. Yeah, because my shadow sword went down like turn two. Yeah. And he couldn't even fire his main gun on the first turn because he, like, stunned it or something. Yeah. So the uh, Sicarian Venator, it has this most amazing gun. Uh, pretty much, against Super Heavies, it gets a pen, and then the Super Heavy or whatever vehicle it hit... Has to snap fire, right? Snap fire yeah. only. And uh, big old Shadow Sword, that blast, it's just like, nope. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, just to picture the game, you got this lineup of Imperial Fist and... Um, Luna Wolf tanks, yep. and then my lines of infantry running across the board. If you go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash maelstrom, I put up pictures from this game, and I just ran across the board, got countercharged, and just, like, eaten alive. Yeah. So I was a little bit, like, pissy afterwards, so I apologized for that, but, like, I was like, this bullshit 30k sucks. <laughs> Oh, okay, well, if you can just, you know, turtle up in those land raiders, I can't really do anything, because yeah. I run melted guns, and they can't do anything to them, so... Yeah, well, that's that's probably also me and Jesse's fault. We made our list uh, five minutes before the game, and we're yeah. just like, yeah, let's just run Spartans. It yeah. looks cool. 
Uh, but no, I, I feel like in 30k, like you can get some really fun narrative armies that get you some mm-hmm. close matches. Um, one of the guys at the club, he's called Ivor, great guy. Um, oh, so cool. Yeah, me and him, we've, we've been playing forever, but we, we like, he has ironware, so he just runs like bodies, hundreds and hundreds of marines, mm-hmm. and uh, I usually do an armor spear tip, and it's just a slug match yeah. going against each other. Yeah, so... So I I'm really tempted by 30k, maybe in the new year. I kind of I want to wait for more legions to get released on Primarchs. Well, like, so if Sanguinus gets released, I'm probably gonna get him just for the model. Yeah, and then I don't know. I don't want to paint red. Oh, that was the other thing. So the um, I found the Dornian Heresy PDF. Yeah, which is like a historical alternate universe of the Horus Heresy where. Essentially, all the legions are switched side, and Horus is not the Arch Betrayer. Instead, it's Rokal Dorn of the Imperial Fists. And, like, they talk about different legions that fall to chaos and stuff. And I wish I'd seen this before I started my Stormguard, because I probably would have done one of those legions. Yeah, it's so cool. I think out of the Dornian Heresy, like, all that stuff, I think my favorite, those Ultramarines. Yeah, because they have their own little fiefdom. Yeah. And they break off from the Imperium and the chaos forces yeah. and they're more high tech too like they're just like yeah oh you have a gun we're gonna just take it we're yeah they use it. a lot of xenos stuff mm-hmm. so they fight the town and get a lot of their technology mm-hmm. uh the blood angels fall in Nurgle, which is really interesting uh, i felt that weird i felt that weird no okay it, you th- assume corn but the space wolves go to corn but the yeah. blood angels sanguinous is essentially a mutant and what yeah. happens in the actual storyline he gets taken uh, by, like, purebred humans on the planet he falls on Ball, or Bao, however you want to pronounce it. But in this, he gets taken by the mutant forces and yep. raised like that. So when the Emperor comes and slaughters all the mutants that have been raising him, he gets, yep. like, really pissed off, and Nurgle comes and helps out, and then all his guys become... He only has mutant forces as yep. he builds his legion. And then, in that storyline, Sanguinus is alive up to, like, present-day M41. Yeah, which is cool. But yeah, and then the picture of like the nurgled out blood angel, so cool looking. But it's really interesting. You um, it's on Bolter and Chainsword. If you yeah. look up the PDF, I posted a link on the forums for iToy Soldiers. Definitely worth the read. Really well done. Unfortunately, it's about ten years old and was never finished. So this yeah. was volume one of two or three, and they only did volume one. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a fluff book. That's. Yeah, it's like high quality, professionally done Index Astartes articles, which people who read old school White Dwarf will remember. And they're really cool, really well written, really well put together booklet. It's about 70 pages, I think. Yeah, and it covers... About half the legions, mostly the loyalists who turn traitor. And I think this was also written before a lot of the Horse Heresy books came out, too. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure, too. Yeah, but... Definitely a great uh, resource. So, anyways, that was a huge tangent. Uh, game I want to talk about that happened since the last time we recorded an episode was the Ape Apocalypse finale for the Hunt for the World Thief campaign that I was running. That started in the summer and then kind of just dragged on forever. Excuse me. Um, so, we had the Imperial forces versus like the forces of disorder, essentially, who were banded together by the World Thief. So the storyline for this campaign is the world Gaius Six was somehow transported outside of Imperial space, 
and turned into this like hell spawn carnival mm-hmm. of evil where just anything goes and all these different Xenos and Chaos forces came into this world to slave tr- uh, trade slaves and you know fighting gladiatorial pits and just make a mess of shit and the Imperium launches a crusade to retake the world and falls into this narrative that I've started building based on the first campaign I ran uh, that revolves around the Pilgrim sector. Um, so characters from the first campaign came back, and uh, yeah, we did the Apocalypse finale back in November, mid-November, yeah. I think. So it was, it was a while ago. Uh, yeah, tons of fun. We got through four turns, stayed right on schedule. About eight or nine players were there. Did you stop by? I know you were. Yeah, I, I stopped. Okay, yeah. I stopped by uh, for a little bit, and it looked it looked cool. Um, yeah, all I. Man, so many orcs. Yeah, every, anytime there's an orc player, there's a green tide. Yeah. So, yeah, um, Dreaddog, Dreaddog, I can never pronounce it I right. just call him Sebastian. Yeah, Sebastian was running orcs, so he just stompa and like a hundred guys on foot. It's just smashed into these raven wings and titan formations. His warlord ended up taking down three night titans of oh, various varieties. Man. Yeah, and the last one was, so uh, each side got a bonus. The Imperium could initiate an exterminatus and virus bomb. <laughs> oh, that, wow. Yes, yeah, so they could vote on it with uh, their commander, Warlord being the, like, uh, Warmaster being the, like, deciding vote. Mm. It was a tie. And just initiate the exterminatus out of the book. And once they initiated it, they couldn't stop it. So they never did that. Oh Yeah. Disappointed I, me, guys. If yeah. you're listening, <laughs> which I know you are, you disappointed me. You should always blow up the planet. Yes. Which then the um, uh, World Thieves forces... Oh, Lords of Carnivora, that's what they're called. God, sorry. Um, each of the, each of our warlords had a uh, vortex grenade or bomb that was like large blast. I made special markers just for this. Oh, and you throw cool. them and they'd scatter up to 46. Oh, and they would sh- only disappear if it went off the table. Otherwise, it was like a vortex grenade. And if your warlord dies, he drops the grenade and centers on there. So if, so a dead man switch with a vortex grenade of, on crack. Yeah. But so if you snipe someone's warlord, like it's going off in the middle of his army. Oh, And like man. it's completely randomized. It always scatters. I don't think it ever, like a hit doesn't keep it still. So like I lost my shadow seer to my own vortex. <laughs> rolling oh, vortex. Uh, but... The way the third Titan went down is because the war boss died and the vortex grenade went off and took him with, took the Titan with him. So I don't think they all got thrown, but they were like there were a lot of roiling vortexes moving around the battlefield. Other than other than that Titan, I don't think they did a whole lot. My shadows here almost killed a wraith knight in the psychic phase, which was awesome. That's okay. That's impressive. Those things just live. <laughs> the um. He did the uh, like the mind war type power. Oh, and okay. He, look, Ryan would not fail or feel no pain. I did about three wounds to it before it finally cut out. And actually, my shadow seer had a piece of war gear that if I'd remembered it, probably would have killed him because of the minus two uh, leadership. But I forgot, so it's neither here nor there. Ryan, I was faced off against. He took um, four wraith knights in the Dreamwalker formation, oh. so they get bonuses to their stats based on the number of surviving. Wraith Knights are like charge, run, uh, weapon skill, ballistic skill bonuses. They're like weapon skill eight or nine. These behemoths. 
Your butt hurt. Like D weapons. Well, fortunately, there was a brass scorpion of corn, and I think uh, the big guy with the axe and the treads, whatever his name is. Oh, Lord of Skulls. Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure there were two um, super corn super heavies. There was at least one in my area starting. So they got taken out the first turn, leaving my like Ravager kill squad, which did like fuck all against them. <laughs> but like most of my forces stayed intact, and I, eh, I didn't really end up doing much. Like yeah. I kind of just flitted around. I took out one or two Wraith Knights, but that was about it. And there was like a D Scythe um, Wraith Guard squad that like I tried to neutralize and didn't do anything. I, I did score some points with the Reavers. I had little three-man squads of Reavers ran around grabbing objectives, which was cool. So it sounds like the opening fire kind of neutered a flank, and then it was just chaos and mayhem with random vortex grenades killing shit. Yeah, and then they're on the other flank. Other There was the orc flank and then the chaos flank. So the teams got a little fucked up. There was some stuff lost in translation. So we had, uh, on the eve of battle, a Blood Angels army fell to chaos and joined forces with the Lords of Carnivora. And they were faced off against uh, Ultramarines, I believe. And, yeah, so that went well. I think it was three or four on five, I remember. I mean, three tables, about nine players on there. Yeah, I remember this. It was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Yeah, so, oh, it was awesome. Got through four turns, stayed right on schedule, played, like, 10 to 6, I think, so... Oh, that's, that's still impressive. Like, yeah. for a uh, APOC game, that's that's very impressive. Yeah. Uh, Especially keeping, what, what, 10 people on track? Almost 10, yeah, 8 or 9. And we wrapped up with uh, Imperium coming out on top. They had won most of the campaign. They ran the, won the first four or five phases, or three or four, something oh, like man. that. Yeah, because Ryan, who plays Eldar, just dominated the first couple of phases. And then uh, Chronic, who was playing for the Carnivora side, played a bunch of, won a bunch of battles in the second to last phase. The last phase being Apocalypse. So we kind of came back a little bit. But it's kind of a shame because the campaign was a tree campaign. So a yeah. lot of missions didn't get played. But I think I'm gonna start reusing. Hopefully, reusing them in the next oh, yeah. campaign. Always gotta, always gotta keep those, man. Like, uh, I got a stockpile at home. Yeah, just, just keep them in the look over list. Oh yeah, for sure. And the only other thing I want to mention is I played a game against uh, Sizzly, aka Rob, at his place on a beautiful Sector Imperialis table. He just got, and we were playing two thousand points Dark Elder versus Corn. Uh, and, which is, like, a really good matchup for me. Like, yeah. low model count, heavy armor infantry, because I have yeah. so much AP2 in my list, and lots of poison. And I took down Scarbrand in close combat with my Archon, Incubi, and a Blitzing Solitaire. It was uh, amazing. In one round of combat, I took yeah, him down. Yeah, I, I believe think it. He was, at, he was close to full wounds when he got into that combat, if not full. Like, that combo you're just talking about right now, man, that's... Uh... That's scary. That'll, that'll kill a Primarch. Easily. Yeah. But Scarbrand has a bubble that gives hatred and rage to all units, friend and foe. So my guys were re-rolling the hit and had extra attacks. It's like, you hate me, but I hate you. I got more attacks. Bye. Yeah, so like 12 or 13 attacks from the Solitaire. Oh. Beautiful. Just beautiful. Beautiful blood. Yeah. So that was awesome. And then 
there was very little of Rob's forces left by the end of the game. Although for most of the game, he, we were playing Maelstrom War and he was winning. So that's yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, any other games you want to talk about? I'm trying to think of like a really fun game that we played. Oh, I got I, I do have one um, that I have photos of. Uh, me and my uh, buddy Jesse on my blog, uh, we did an infantry only three thousand point game. Holy Christ. Thirty K thirty K thirty K. So you're Luna Wolves, his Imperial Fists. Yeah. Yeah. So we had I think we almost had two battle companies on the field. Um most of his was Terminators too. Because he's got like thirty Terminators just nice. yeah, he's an infantry guy. Yeah. Um and I just brought in just tacticals and more tacticals, uh and then Horus took up like one third of my army. Right, right. Uh, it was a bloodbath. I think it came down to... Uh, oh, we also allowed one Dreadnought aside. So it was a battle company, a Dreadnought, one Primarch. He had Sigmund, he had Polax. Uh, at the end of the game, it was just Horus and three Luna Wolves. Whoa, that's bloody. Yeah. Wow. Um, it, yeah, it's just... It was a bloodbath. Uh, he He had a giant wave of Toughness 5... Terminators followed up by Toughness 5 Breachers. Oh my god. So like 50 guys with Toughness 5 uh, with bolt guns that shoot at Blisk Skill 5. Nice. Uh, I'm just glad he has the worst dice rolls in history. Um, I think I think I killed 8 Terminators with bolt guns in one round of shooting. Oh my god. So, but yeah. Rob I, also had terrible rolls in our game. But uh, no, it was it was fun, and we're trying to do we're gonna try to do some narratives like that. Nice, just bloodbaths. We're hoping uh, build a zone Mortalis board to do even bigger bloodbaths. Yeah, that's um, actually I could send you some pictures of like homemade zone Mortalis boards. I, yeah, I, there was someone put up a bunch on Facebook. On uh, I think it was on the independent character page. And I saved all the pictures of um. These Zone Mortalis boards. We should that, send it. Yeah, send it to your event. Right. Or from send them to you. Yeah, because right now there's uh, there's a few options we're looking at. Uh, we're actually, one is we're actually looking to just say screw it and actually buy from Forge World. The big. That's fucking expensive. Yeah. Um, or we're looking at also uh, Spartan Games. Um, they do actually Halo Fleet Battles uh, and then they do some other games that I can't remember. Uh, but they have these really cool installations that remind me of the old Forge World ones. Yeah, right. I think I've seen the ones you're talking about. Yeah, where you have little corridors, and it's just like, you could put this on your board, and then you can actually just physically enter that, and then you could do Zora Mortalis. Yeah. So. The, uh, the board that I've been looking at that I want to remake is you can get, just for the ground, you get the, um, the like the rubber pads that look mm-hmm. like, uh, with the... Um, Say this like little uh, ellipses circles or whatever. Okay, okay. It, it kind of and you spray it silver, so it looks like a metal decking. Okay, it's kind of not really the right scale for thirty k, but it's close. Forty k, but you could find something. You can find an alternative if you really bother you. And then build rooms out of like shoe boxes, cut doorways in them, then add a bunch of detail and paint them. Mm-hmm. And you don't glue the rooms down. You just place them yeah. to make a modular board mm-hmm. and create hallways and stuff. And then each room can be different things, like a oh, power plant cool. or a command center or just like a generic room. It looks really good. Like I'm not. It kind of sounds shitty, maybe the way I'm describing it. But like, 
once you paint up the boxes, you can barely tell what they are. I'm not sure if they are shoe boxes, but that's what I would use. Well, we were looking at that or that. The other one was to build it, and we were thinking the modular thing. Mm -hmm. But we're going to buy, like, a few bastions and then see about getting them recasted. Um, okay. And then actually use the bastion walls and then putty to make it much more solid. Yeah. Well, if you can cast, you could make, um, I'm sure you could find walls to cast. Or yeah. make them. That's not, that shouldn't be too difficult. Yeah. So, but just a nice standard template because we definitely want to do some, like, boarding actions. Yeah. Because that'd be fun. Yeah, the one thing I found about making terrain is you need to add detail as much as possible. Like, break up the surface. Yeah. Otherwise, it looks very bland. That's something I've kind of learned. Yeah, I uh, I built several tables um, and several different terrain pieces. Um, and no, you definitely have to. It, like, every little bit counts. Like, yeah. even if you're doing a styrofoam, if you're building a building, add something. Like, uh, just stab in a little bit. Burn just it. something on the wall. Or, like, yeah. one thing I've been looking at is I want to get a 3D printer to print off, like, different little terrain knickknacks like imperial aquilas yeah. and then put those on the sides of buildings oh, that'd and numbers be, and stuff yeah that'd be cool you could also do like little defense walls like yeah yeah because the detail isn't really there to make figures but it's perfect for terrain so i've seen like armies done from a 3d printer and they i mean they're playable but they don't look very good no so. no but like terrain like yeah if it even if you had like a bad print oh look this wall. Oh, look, it's Snap low. It in half, yeah. Break it. Yeah, so. Um, yeah. Uh, what are you looking to work on in the next little while? Um, well, uh, some of the next projects, um, like I said, Raven Guard uh, is definitely up there. Um, we're hoping to buy our two knights, or a knight and the Warhound Titan, mm -hmm. probably next two, three months. Cool. And then hopefully have that ready for the summer. Yeah. So, uh, and after that, maybe terrain. Just yeah. So we got yeah we got a we're still trying to budget because we're trying to make this uh, almost like a company, but budget it so between me and him just get. Yeah, you're looking to start like a studio network or like yeah. board gaming and stuff. So yeah, yeah. cool. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm switching back to my Blood Angels slash Stormguard and then. Finish. There's a couple of things. All my tack marines need to be painted. Need to wrap up a few other things and get on to some vehicles. Yeah. So. so, what kind of vehicles are you going to buy for them? Uh, well, right now I got to finish the transports. The two Razorbacks and a two Razorbacks and a Rhino and a Land Raider, and then I want to get some uh, Laz Preds and okay. Vindicators. That'd be pretty cool. No, uh, you got to get any more Ball Predators? You think? Yeah, eventually. I don't know if that'll be in the next year or so, but I want to do tanks. Get yeah. some more tanks. I, anyway, I'm running Stormguard in the next campaign, so I want to get them painted up and stuff. Uh, thinking of any Fortral tanks maybe also add in there? Uh, I like the Sicarian a lot, like the classic one. Yeah. I think it would go well with Ball Predators because it's fast and stuff. Yeah. Um, not a huge fan of the Spartan. Like They're amazing, but like the looks I'm not sure about. Maybe a few others. Some of the Predator variants are really cool. With like that giant plasma destructor. Oh that thing's God. badass. I want it. I definitely want it. Because you put two last cannons on that, you got the big gun. Yeah. Heavy three, all small blast. Oh, God. That's amazing. Yeah, so um, 
wrap up the finish painting the infantry for my storm guard and then do some tanks. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Yeah. Hopefully over Christmas break I'll be in Toronto area, so get some painting done with Jay and then uh come back for the campaign, start of January. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. So uh that wraps up our first segment. We'll take a quick break and come back for our main topic, campaign. Welcome to the main topic of this episode of Wrong Side of the Maelstrom, where we talk about campaigns. Woo! So, um, Aaron, why would you want to participate in a campaign, or why would anyone? Well, it's a it's a fun narrative. Like, it's a narrative. That's mm-hmm. that for me. That's that's what people want to do campaigns instead of like those competitive builds, those kind of things. You could just do a fluffy, fun army. That that's It's just designed for fun. Like, you don't really see that. I mean, you're average, say, Thursday, Friday night, go to a local game store. But now you get a narrative. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a good way to break up uh, competitive play. It's a good way to link your games together so it's just not one-off games and gives it a lot yeah. more meaning. Uh, it's a great way to develop the story and the history of your army and like develop a narrative yeah. for that. Um, it's, an, it's a totally new way to play. You can break the rules, like redo, change how missions work. You don't have to have equal armies. Yeah. So there's a lot of interesting curveballs you can throw in the mix. So we came up with five basic types of campaigns. And let's go over them. So we'll start with narrative campaigns. This one, by narrative, I mean like heavily heavily focusing on the narrative rather than any other aspects. So the way I run a narrative campaign, I did one with my roommate that we actually never finished. Um, beside the point. And what we did is we came up with a basic story it was a demon, demonic incursion on this one planet. Stormguard come in to help out. And we'd pl- come up with our starting mission, play it out, and they'll say, like, okay, so what happens now? Demons beat back the Stormguard. Okay, they're going to advance over to this Imperial Temple, and the Stormguard have to kind of try and retake it from them. And just every time we finished a battle, we try and come up with the next step in the story. Uh, anything you want to add for narrative campaigns? Uh, I've done lots of them. Um, probably one of my favorite ones. Uh, this is my old gaming group. Um, it was called the Doma Campaign. Okay. Uh, pretty much it was a Imperial world that was also a chapter world uh, that was uh, defending against a chaos uh, and a demonic convert, like invasion. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, like what ended up happening is we had like the PDF, we had the half the chapter get like converted. Mm. Uh, we had Battlefleet Gothic going on. We had one of the ships actually crash onto the nice. planet. And then we actually uh, fought it out on, I mean, a giant city wall, like a mm-hmm. curtain wall. Like, it was, it was fun. That was yeah. probably my favorite one. Nice. Uh, next type of campaign that you see a lot is a map campaign. Yep. So there's different ways to do it. Uh, different, essentially different maps and how you run it. Uh, there's no one rule set. Like narrative campaigns, generally a little more open. Phase campaigns, much more structured. Map campaigns. Um, there's different ways to do it. Like hex maps, uh, doing it with um, just 
Okay, good example is the Vogan campaign that GW released back in Third Ed, where they had this city map mm-hmm. and with different sectors, and they're all like parsed out in um, their own little yeah. bubble, I guess. Or anything. yeah, and they had like if I if I remember if I'm remembering this right, they had like it was this giant city, and like there was like four hexes for the palace, and then like a spaceport. So there, there were unique... Well, it, it wasn't hexes. They were just like the outlines of the neighborhood or yeah. the building. Okay. And that is whatever they connected to, you could move into that oh, square. Okay. So, okay. Um, it doesn't have to be a hex map. That's what a lot of people use mm-hmm. or think of. Uh, it could just be different provinces. Like yeah. You could take a map of Canada and say, like, okay, we've got, what, 13 different zones you can move into yeah. or like subdivide them even further. Um, and you, it takes a, more of a commitment than your average campaign because yeah. players have to move their armies around the map or move their forces and expand their territory right. and stuff. And then play the battles out. Yeah. So that's the next one that I'm working on. I should say we. You've been contributing and helping out a lot, which is super helpful. Thank you again. Hey, no problem, man. And um, so, yeah, that's hopefully uh, you, when you're running this, you have a lot of committed players. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. it will stall pretty fast. Yeah, and then that's that's one of the one of the tough things if uh, you're surrounded by one player and it's like, eh, it's it's hard, it's hard. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll we'll figure it out when yeah. we uh, if that comes up. Yeah, we're gonna be talking about the that campaign a little bit. Uh, next one is the phase campaign. I've ran two of these, and they're very straightforward to run. Uh, if you look at any a lot of Forge World books from number eight or nine onwards uh, from the bad app campaign onwards they have a lot of examples of phase campaigns 30k also has uh examples of uh phase campaigns too yeah so um 30 the horse heresy rule books from forge world have great examples of campaigns special rules you can add in different types of campaigns but uh Good example is the Bad Ab War campaign, where there's five phases, each one representing a different zone of conflict and a different yep. step in the war. And uh, how it works is you take your players, divide them into two teams, and just play games whenever they can schedule them. And those victories contribute to the phase. And at the end of the phase, which is either a predetermined number of battles or a determined time, so like say two weeks. Yep. You, your players play as many games against the opposing faction as possible in those two weeks, and then whoever won more wins that phase, and then they'll, that winner will get a bonus in the next phase, so like an extra 100 points, uh, bonus to reserve rolls, whatever, extra fortifications, orbital bombardment, those are all Relics. Examples. Yeah, exactly, Anything. extra war gear, stuff like that. And then... Fun way to the way I've done it, and the way a lot of people have done it, is they it culminates in a big team apocalypse game at the very end. Um, and that's pretty straightforward, requires a lot of work ahead of time, but once you do that, it's done. Yeah, because you can have anyone join in at any time. That's true, yeah, it's really easy for players to jump in later on. So that's uh, that's a good one. That was the last two campaigns that run War for Axis and Hunt for the World Thief, those yeah. were. Uh, phase campaigns. Uh, the next one is a node campaign. So this is similar to a map, but you just have little locations yep. or dots and then routes between them. So that a good example of that would be like if you make a solar system or like a space yeah. sector and connect all the planets with warp routes. Yeah, like uh, parts of like Orion 
Like those old games. Those. Okay. I, I haven't played them, so I don't know. <laughs> those, are, um, those are my genres. <laughs> yeah. And then you can have special rules for each node. Like yeah. uh, it, they could get bonuses. They could have special territorial effects on the battlefield. Yeah. Stuff like that. I could represent anything. Like you could have it like this represents systems. Like the old uh, Gothic Gothic War. Yeah. Was, this was very much a node campaign. Um, so there could be all sorts of kind of things. Yeah, there. it's a simplified map campaign, really, yeah. a node campaign. Yeah. But that's something I'd like to do eventually is a, like a space campaign. Maybe when Battlefleet Gothic comes back, or maybe if... Armada. Yeah, run Armada with 40k or something. Yeah. I think it'd be cool. Armada's awesome. Uh, final one's a tree campaign. So this is sort of like a flowchart. You start at the top. Picture like a pyramid... So you start at the top with, uh, oh, we have the meeting engagement. Yeah. Okay, Chaos won. So we go down the Chaos Victory side, yeah. and then it keeps splitting with more and more battles until at the end there's like five or six different options depending on which way you felled it through the tree. Yeah. And I really, I, I do like tree campaigns, especially if you just one or two people, or even like a, just a small group. Yeah. Because then it's like you kind of know your route. You kind of yeah. know your route after... Uh, Either just one missions or like a, a even combining it with a phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hunt for the World Thief was a phase slash tree campaign. So depending on who won each phase, they would get bonuses. Plus that would determine where you went in the tree. Uh, pr- problem with tree campaigns is they take a lot more work ahead of time because yeah. you need to determine which yeah. missions you're using. Um, and, I mean, that's work you can reuse in a future campaign, but it's that was a lot of work putting together the Hunt for the World Thief, like, booklet and stuff, and typing out all the missions. A mm. uh, good resource for that is the Altar of War Compendium, or the old Battle Missions book. Uh, going back older editions of rules, you have lots of interesting yeah. missions in there, especially the bigger rule books that have, like, fluff at the back and stuff. Third uh, third edition, which is the edition I started, at yeah, the back so, yeah. of it, it's it's got... They have like a dozen missions in that yeah. book or something. And or rosters more. and like yeah. veterancies. It's like, okay, that's that's yeah. awesome. So that's um yeah, and you those missions aren't difficult to rewrite, no. really. Uh, like the Ultra War book is from sixth ed, so those missions yeah. were really easy to update to seventh edition. Highly recommend it. It's not an easy book to find. I don't know if GW still sells it on their website, but No. I don't think so. Yeah, I think you could torrent it. Not that we condone that behavior, but if they don't sell it anymore, you don't have a lot of options. Anyways. Just um, check your local laws, especially if you're in the United States. Just FYI. Yeah. We don't say anything about doing it. Just there's resources on the internet you could use. Yeah. And uh, a good thing to do, if you find one on eBay or something and it's a little more expensive, split it amongst a group of friends. And because you only need one copy of the book, you don't yeah. need multiple copies of it because yeah. you're not going to use it a lot. Yeah, it's if not you got a, or a, rule book. a dedicated club and you got like club resources, you know, yeah, hit it up next meeting. Yeah, that, that was, although I didn't want to leave my copy of the book at Brimstone for people to use because yeah. it's a nice book. I paid good money for it yeah. and I want to get a wreck, so that's why I made the specific yeah. booklet. And I had to update all the missions, anyways. So. Uh, yeah, those are the main different types of campaigns. Uh, what you need to run a campaign. So, first off, players. Players, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you need 
At least two, at least two players. At least two people. Um, it's not good to play with yourself. Uh. <laughs> well, no, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so two players can be a nice, intimate. That's good for narrative campaigns because you can just talk it over with your opponent each time. Yeah. Uh, team campaigns, you want like at least four, I would assume. Yeah, at least four. And you know, you can get that up higher. The first campaign I ran, War for Raxus, we had three different sides with about four players apiece. Which yeah, made for an awesome apoch game that had to end early because there were messed up rules, exploits, and stuff that people were getting angry. Yeah. About. However, a... we ran that that battle was ran like fucking clockwork. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really I was uh, that. GMing that. Uh, yeah, that you was, were you were managing. Oh I was playing it. If yeah. I did not read so much random Warhammer stuff, I would have been lost. Like what? Yeah. No, I know this book. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you, so anyways, running campaign, you need an organizer to run it. Yeah. Who probably is going to be the same person who writes it, but not necessarily. Yeah. Well, it, it depends. So, it depends because you could do like, uh, we could run it out of a book, yeah. like out of a forge world book. Yeah. So obviously he's not the one who created the campaign. But. Yeah. But you can, it depends like how much work you, you know, you or multiple people want to put into it. Mm. So, so, um, you might need uh, places to host it online, so like a private forum, an email thread, yep. itoysoldiers.com, great resource. They yep. have a campaign section. Yep. Uh, any of the campaigns that we're talking about that I wrote are up on itoysoldiers, so you can actually go to itoysoldiers and launch an instance of it for your own club. Uh, yep. There's a few other ones up there. Yeah. So uh, that's a great resource. Um even like a Facebook group you were running yeah, on Facebook so. group, uh, you definitely tell how old is it. Uh, I used to do this. We used to do it email, email. Yeah, you know, like nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It works great. Um, other than that, that's about it. Because I'd say you need a common place to play, but even then, you can run Depends. worldwide campaigns that yeah. GW used to run. So all depends on your group. Yeah, it depends on what you're doing. Uh, I think in the future, Jay and I have talked about running a campaign like both in Windsor and Toronto and beyond. Yeah. So I know you want to do like worldwide yeah. campaigns yeah. too. So. Which hopefully nine, ten months. Yeah. <laughs> With the power of the internet, we can do it. Yes. So, yeah. So I'll hail the Googles. <laughs> I'll hail our internet overlords and their glorious new regime. <laughs> so those are the, um, yeah, that's basically what you need to do. Yeah. You can embellish it. I like to do campaign booklets for my campaigns so that players can reference, look at, look up rules. I, previously, I've uh, made a nice copy, got it printed and bound at Staples, and then left it at Brimstone for players to just grab whenever they need yeah. to see it. Uh, this time, I'm printing off individual copies and like stapling them together and handing them out to people. So they won't be quite as fancy, but so far they've come along nicely. That's good. That's yeah. good. Because that's good, like, especially, like, uh, for us, it's very nice, especially in a gaming group that um, is kind of ad hoc, as I like to say, because sometimes we're there, sometimes we're not. Yeah. And if they could have a nice copy, mm -hmm. you know, if no organizer's there, yeah. then two people can still get together, mm -hmm. bang it out, bang out a mission. Yeah. I mean, it's always online, but it's, it, I find it's always easier to have the book. Yeah, because so. say you're 
well, we're at our club, which is at Brimstone Games. Uh, it's just nice because you don't have to open your phone. It's just it's right yeah, there. Yeah, scrolling through a PDF on a cell phone is a pain in the ass. Yeah, so. screw that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's generally what you need. You will need a map if you're running a map or a node campaign. Obviously, a good resource for that, really simple, Google Earth. Find um, an area that looks cool, screenshot it and print it. Um, yeah. GIMP is a free uh, photo editing software. That's what I'm using for my current campaign. It works very similar to Adobe Photoshop, but it's okay. free. So that I recommend. It's not none of those photo editing software are easy to use, but or easy to learn, but they're good um, for what you want to do. It's good. Yeah, InDesign's my favorite, but I no longer have it. No. So uh, I've been using Microsoft Publisher to make the booklet this time around. InDesign's not easy to learn, but it's such a powerful program. It's for, like, laying out books and stuff. Um, yeah, you might... One thing I want to do for this campaign, uh, the upcoming campaign, is have newsletters. Yeah. So you'll need to learn the basic design skills. You could do stuff like that yeah. in Word. Most people know how to use Microsoft yeah. Word. Or Notepad. You could write it, like... You know, there's depending on what you got. Like, yeah. you know, if you're just at home, you got you could use. If you have a computer, uh, use your computer. Uh, if you mm -hmm. got a pen and paper, and then get someone to go to copy to Staples or yeah. something. That's true. Uh, also, Open Office is a free open program that works like it's similar to Microsoft Word and Excel and stuff like that. Works great. I prefer Microsoft, but if you don't have access to it. All hail open source, man. Yeah, no, it's great. All right, so let's um, dive into some campaigns. Yes. Do you, do you want to go first, or should I go first? Um, I'll let you go first. Okay. Take ownership of this here. All right, so the war for Raxus. The oh, Raxus system I gotta play is in this. torn apart by orcs invading the Imperial system, and at the same time, Eldar are manipulating Tyranid fleet to come in. And the Farsight Enclaves have allied with Imperiums to fight off the Orcs of uh, Chardon, the Orc Empire. Yeah, Chardon. Yeah, okay. That kind of fell apart at the end. <laughs> anyway, so this was a campaign I ran last January, I believe it started. Yes. And it was a phase campaign. There were five phases, including the fifth being an apocalypse campaign. Each phase represented a different... Uh, world within the mm -hmm. system, and they had bonuses for that. And I think there were environmental effects. I don't remember offhand. Um, there were three sides to this, so you could, if you're playing in the campaign, each phase is about two weeks. You post on the forums or message a friend yeah. who's on an opposing side and say, like, "Hey, want to get a campaign game in? Uh, I'm playing this faction. Who's down?" And you record on the website, whichever faction wins gets the bonus. So three factions is interesting because it made the Apocalypse game really interesting. It's a, that was a free-for-all of insanity. Let's just yeah. say that. Uh, but before we got to the Apocalypse game, the Eldar faction, who was the, called the Prophecy of he Hoek, I think yeah. it's pronounced, it's one of the Eldar gods, which was Eldar, Dark Eldar, uh, Nids and Necrons. Yep. So that was kind of the catch-all wild card. Then there were the Imperial Forces, which was the Lynch Coalition, 
which was Imperium and Farsight Enclaves, or as the Tau called it, the Coalition Against the Begel, which Begel is an orc in Tau. It actually is, I looked it up. (laughs) And then there was the the Black Wah, which uh, this orc tainted by chaos, uh, Grimarg, Warboss Grimarg. Um, The Eldar had assassinated the arch arsonist of uh, Chardon, who usually leads an orc empire. And instead of falling to disarray, Grimarg stepped forward and united the bands under this wah with no war boss. So each individual war boss kind of took together. Yeah. And it called it the Black Wall, and they invaded the Pilgrim Sector, which Raxus is like the first sector there. Um, so the Prophecy of Hoek took most of the, most of the uh, phases. I yeah. think just one we took as the... Uh, Defenders of as the Lynch Coalition, yeah, and which was good because if the prophecy had won all four first phases, they there'd be no point doing the APOC game, yeah, because they were like way ahead. Actually, maybe they were. I can't remember now. They, they might were. Have been it was lead, actually, and we kind of just negotiated with them to have the APOC game mean something. Yeah, yeah, it was worth all the mar- marbles. That's yeah. for sure. Uh, so the APOC game was at Brimstone Games, hosted there. And we set up the tables as like a T. So one, uh, the orcs had across the top of the T yeah. lined up on, that must have been like 12 feet of table or something. Yeah. They had two green tides and four stompas. So there was, to rough ball this, there's like two, maybe 300 orcs, four giant walkers, and then I don't know how many other orcs, like bikes and stuff. Because there were... Was it three or four players aside? Uh, it was. It was four. Yeah, four players aside. So there were twelve thousand points on each team. Yeah. And yeah, so twelve thousand points of orcs on the table. Yeah. On the imperial side, we had. They were on like an L. Deployment. Yeah. So it was a, a line on the one with the giant orc wog, and then two L's opposite yeah. of that. So it was like my blood angels. Dark Angels. Grey Knights. Um, yeah, Grey Knights and uh, Imperials. I want to say, I can't remember what the fourth player was. So the Tau weren't there because Ivor couldn't make it. Yeah. Probably another Space Marine player. Yes, yes, because that, uh, it was Dark Angels. I never said Dark Angels. Oh. Yeah. I don't remember who was. And then on the other... And then the Lots last... Lots of the bodies. Yeah, the Pro- Prophecy had their Eldar, uh, Dark Eldar with a Chaos thing. Because Chaos weren't in the campaign. Yep. And you could ally in units only from your faction or... No, sorry. The rule was you could not ally in units of an opposing faction. Yep. Which was kind of, which was a bit of a loophole I left in there for Sizzly because I knew we had this, like, big uh, Lord of Skulls. Yes. So I'm like, okay, well, there's no chaos, so you can bring it. Cause it and, uh, yeah, so there's the uh, Eldar, Dark Eldar, Tyranids, and something else. Necrons. Necrons, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Adam was running his Necrons, I think. Yeah. yeah. So that was a crazy game. Tons of super heavies on the table. My Shadow Sword fucking cored a Tyranid Bio-Titan in one shot. That was beautiful. Uh, it yeah. popped on, my, exploded. Uh, Tyranid, no, my um, Thunderham Storm Shield Terminator took down a Eldar Revenant Titan. Which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Other 
yeah, crazy orcs just like swept in. Oh, I'm trying to remember. I keep forgetting. There was, some, there was another Space Marine player, I'm pretty sure, who's there. Well, there was... There was Kev, who brought... No, Kev brought... Imperial Guard, Guard and, and Grey Knights. Knights. Echo brought his Grey Knights. Right, okay, that was it. We two... Essentially two Grey Knight players. Okay. So I'm like, who was holding the flank against the Green Tides? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There was lots of Grey Knights, yeah. That was... Yeah, because I did the dick thing where I deep struck my entire army, so I had almost nothing. Okay. I had twenty five hundred points in reserve. For any listener that ever plays an APOC game with Ian and his bloody angels, he will leave you for two turns to fight off. Aaron, he, I'm so sorry. He's done that twice to me. Yeah, we did. We we played two games, both two on two. Me and Aaron on one side versus orcs and orcs and Tau on the yeah. other. And both games, I'm like, so, Aaron, my Shadow Sword's on the table, and a couple scouts, and everything else is deep striking. Because the Blood Angels have this awesome asset where they get to assault out deep strike, and I always want to use it, I'm such yes. an asshole. Yes, it's like, I know, you're only outnumbered by five to 6,000 points, but you got this, right? No. no. Just hold off. No, yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm a dick. And Aaron's a very nice gentleman player who has stood by me despite me being a jackass to him. Yeah, I, uh, my Luna Wolves, because that was actually when I first started my Luna Wolves too. Yeah. Yeah, they have practiced a lot of last stands against lots of orcs and stompas. Yeah. Anyway, so that, that was the war for Raxus. Uh, the problem with that was, is I was using the... I wrote experimental character creation rules based off rules from uh, the 40k Fight Club. And I took them and upgrade, updated them to 7th and modified them here and there. And the problem was is that one character, uh, one player decided to exploit them by beefing up a character with all these force multipliers and putting it in the green tide. Yep. So green tide with hit and run is a lot of bullshit and other things. So... Yep. Unfortunately, a lot of players were got kind of pissed off and wrapped it up by turn two. So I've since modified those rules by stripping them down to the bones so that you don't get force multipliers from those rules. You can just make a beefy combat character. Yeah, and uh, but there was some other stuff, like um, some stuff that we had a FAQ on site. Yeah, there was a, a another player was using an outdated character and stuff, and orc stompas are nigh on unkillable as well, which is a pain in the They're, ass. That's that makes up an orc army these days. We know that. Yeah, one stomp on other. Unbound <laughs> with fifteen mechs in it. Yeah, so it was unfortunate that campaign kind of ended on a downer. Was still that. fun though. It was a good campaign though. Um, so the next campaign I ran it started during the summer. And it was the Hunt for the World Thief campaign, which we've already gone over uh, the story for. And this was a phase slash uh, tree campaign. So you started, there was the one mission to turn, and all these missions are out at the Altar of War Compendium. So it started with Imperial forces invading the world that is that was Gaia 6 and became Carnivora. And then kept moving and I tried to make the I tried to select the missions that they narratively made sense. Yeah. So if the 
one side won the whole campaign. The phase four mission was a last stand for the other side. Yeah. And they would have to kill off every single model to win that mission. Uh, that's and, pretty intense. Yeah. So, and the other cool thing I did, I took this liberally from one of the Horus Heresy books where they had environmental effects, and I made an environmental effect uh, table. So things like, oh, there's lots of fog, oh, there's lots of radiation. Your psychers get double points, but Perils of the Warp is a lot worse. Um, stuff like that. And sounds you like could, a good margarita of rules there. <laughs> yeah, so it was the six-part chart, and you roll on it before a game, and if you got a six, you'd have to roll on it like twice more. Oh, God. Yeah, so you could have like crazy stuff going on. And... Heads exploding left and right. Yeah, they, these rules weren't balanced. Like they definitely favored some armies over others. Yeah, but it was fun. It was awesome, and I highly recommend doing crazy stuff like that. And there were bonuses for. Let me think. Like you got extra points. You got reserve rolls. You. I'm trying to remember what the other ones were. All just different, but little things. Yeah. Huge tweaking things. Just enough to like, hey, you guys did this. Like, yeah. you got you you make an achievement, so it's like building, mm-hmm. like momentum or yeah. And the unfortunately, I didn't get the narrative out for this. I had like a um, what was it called? A prologue, like half written that I never oh. ended up submitting. There's there are is some narrative bits in the booklet, but they I had a, like a longer one talking about Inquisitor Lynch, who was from the War for Axis campaign. Uh, the other thing I like doing with these campaigns is I'll make up um, character models to use in the last battle. So in the uh, War for Raxus finale, each faction had their own special character. So there was Grimarg, the crazy tainted war boss. There was a Farseer who was kind of falling to the dark side. She was yeah. manipulating the Tyranids and using uh, allying with Dark Eldar. And then there was the Inquisitor Lynch who had brought the Tau and Imperium together. And then for this one, there was the World Thief himself, who was a Dark Eldar Archon, and a High Admiral Harrison, who could call down, like, barrages during the final oh, hunt for the World Thief. Yeah. That's like, that Like that adds the flavor to it. Yeah. It's like, here's these, like, one of the things I always like, is just like, here's some of these bigger-than-life characters that, oh, look, they actually have it. So you can see a narrative, you yeah. can actually see them actually... Yeah, and, you know, I, they're in the narrative as characters, and I bought and painted up the models for people to use, and I, like, show up on the day of, it's like, oh, hey, you, your war, okay, the war master is the person who played, or who won the most games, and then the player who played the most games, regardless of how many they won, here, you get to use this guy, here's his crazy rules, you know what, you get him to use him three of points, yeah, and just an extra thing. Which is cool. Like, if I remember, your orc just got this giant demon. Yeah, so it's the orc from the fourth ed book uh, starter set. Sorry, the uh, assault on Black Reach. Yeah, and instead of the gun arm, I just replaced threw on a demon prince arm, the old metal demon prince. So he's yeah. got this massive claymore in one hand and a power claw in the other hand. And the claymore arm is turning black from the yeah. taint of chaos. And that's really cool. Inquisitor Lynch is based off a War Machine model, and Farseer Eleth is uh, was um, so a special character. Farseer, uh, from Altway. Uh, the big guy who's 
important. I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Eldrad. Yeah, it was the Eldrad model, but weapon swap, so she yeah. looks like she's carrying Dark Eldor weapons. Yeah. And then High Admiral Harrison was just um, the Cadian Admiral with a standard bearer on the same base. Oh, I gotcha. So they didn't really have too much to do there, like too much to work with. Yeah. And then the World Thief is this kit-bashed model. He was really cool. He didn't get into combat during that game, but I gave him a spear that had the graviton rule. Oh, so, like the 30k graviton rule? No, like the regular graviton rule. So it's always wounding on their armor oh. save. Oh, so it was a grab weapon. Okay. Yeah, okay. but it's a combat weapon, which oh. technically the rules are only for ranged weapons, but... Oh, yeah, that's... Oh. oh. He was a combat monster. Meanwhile, High Admiral Harrison's calling down orbital strikes. From the back of a storm lord. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty pimping. It's like, yeah, I'm on the ground, pimping. Yeah. So they were very different characters, but I felt they were fairly balanced, like in terms of how much damage each one could do. Yeah. Well, the one, it, it's already offset if it's a gra- uh, the grab, like effectively the grab gun rule. Yeah. Because he can kill characters, but oh, hordes come him, he's dead. Yeah, I mean, he, four wounds, eternal warrior, shadow field. They both had Eternal Warrior and Four Wounds. Yeah, but like 30 Gaunts could take No, that. oh yeah, that's the thing. He wasn't invincible, and I didn't make him fearless, and he ended up running off the table, I think. <laughs> yeah. And High Admiral Harrison, his Stormlord blew up, and he got thrown from the wreckage, but he didn't bite it. That he game. didn't bite it. Oh, no. Okay. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. So, that's an example of adding flavor to the games. I love making characters. Like, yeah. all, my, uh, all my independent characters in my Stormguard army are named... Uh, a lot of the characters in my Dark Eldar are named. And adding those rules to the game where you can customize them is really helpful. Yeah. There's a couple of the Forge World books that have character upgrade rules. There's Horse Heresy. Yeah. But, uh, the Horse Heresy book four. If yeah. you want, even if you're not a Horse Heresy player, it, it's it's very nice. It's got mm-hmm. character rules. It's got campaign rules. Yeah. It's even got relics. Yeah, that's right for... Yeah, for the Horus Heresy. Yeah, you get, I'm going to say, like, 25 relics. Like There's a ton. There's one for each uh, Legion, plus yeah. a few others. Yeah. Um, the other thing is uh, Imperial Armor 12 has a phase campaign system that also has character advancement. Yes. That's the Necron one. Yes, that is... Uh, Against the uh, Minotaurs, right? Yeah, Minotaurs are in that. It's the uh, Orpheus, Fall of Orpheus. Yes. Also a great book. Also yeah, great. yeah. All right. so that was the second campaign. Now, upcoming campaign, Romanoff Heresy. By the time, to- hopefully the editing turnaround will be quick on this episode, so if you're listening to this, there's still time. You can go to iToy Soldiers and sign up for the Romanoff Heresy. It if, starts January 3rd. Yeah, if you're in Windsor or... For those that might be in Michigan, it's it's only a yeah, stone throw across. across. Um, uh, you can go to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash maelstrom. The link is up there. Uh, this campaign is a map campaign. The map is taken from Google Earth and St. Petersburg, Russia, and the surrounding area. And I you took the history of St. Petersburg with the October Revolution in 1917, I believe. My history is really terrible, so... Yeah, no, that's, that's about right. <laughs> uh, where the communists overthrew the uh, czarists and took control and started that whole terrible mess that happened there. But anyways, um, 
in this, it's not communist, it's a unionist overthrow a corrupt uh, planetary governor who's been trading in Xenos relics, and just and they kill him and yeah. take over the factories and start producing actually at a much better rate than what was happening before, and they're paying off the debt that the planetary governor had in terms of the teeth of la- uh, lack of tithes. Of, yeah, tithes, sorry. So, however, a lot of people in the Imperium are, like, angry. It's like, no, this is not how the Imperium works. You yeah. can't have democracy in this system. You can't have the factories run by the workers. So we're going to go and put them down. Meanwhile, other people in the Imperium are like, no, this is good, this is progress, this is what we need. There can't be stagnant dynasties ruling the yeah. sector. That are corrupt, that deal with Xenos. Yeah. Like. And then there's everything in between. Like, oh, well, yeah, he was corrupt, but we can't have this happening. Yeah. Or like, well, you know what? Like, this is they are producing a lot better. Maybe this is a good thing. And then you have all the Xenos and demons like coming in to take their, yeah. do what they can. Renegades, just like, okay, it's chaos. Let's go yeah. in there and rob some stuff. Yeah, so the, narratively, there's a reason for Imperials to be fighting Imperials within this campaign. Different sides of the Inquisition are taking sides. And, yeah, so it starts off, the revolution's already happened. It's about a month or two or three after the workers have taken control. Um, I'm taking a lot of this from, like, leftist politics and yeah. stuff, so I'm going to sprinkle that in different places where, like, different factions are continuously arguing instead of getting any work done. Yeah. And stuff. And anyone who's been involved with leftist politics probably... Might get a chuckle. Any, any a politics, really. Right. Well, I don't. I, that's my. That's where my experiences come from. Like I used to be involved with that sort of stuff oh, and gotcha. like arguing constantly at meetings and getting nothing done. So I'm going to include that in there. I'm trying to remember every acronym that's slightly different. If you watch Life of Brian, it's like, oh, yeah. really? oh, god, yes. <laughs> we're, the, we're not the Judean peoples from. We're the peoples from the Judea. <laughs> so like stuff like that. I'm going to be sprinkling in there. And just make it like, well, how the fuck did this revolution even get off the ground? <laughs> um, they were great till this. <laughs> yeah, the rule set is based uh, heavily on the old Vogan rules we mentioned earlier. Uh, every player is going to be starting at, with an unnamed territory at the edge of the map. And each week, what the what players have to do is email their moves in to an email account I've set up. I think it's gwtwcampaigns at gmail.com. It's it's on the campaign website. And you email your rules in, or your moves in, and then I'll check this each Wednesday at midnight and update the map. And there'll be, if you fuck up your rule, if it moves like, a, oh, actually, that was an illegal move, yeah. you'll have a chance to... Um, redo. Either redo or fortify a territory instead, because yeah. you can fortify... Uh, territories get 50 bonus points after we spend on fortifications. Probably, probably redo, because... I don't remember what the rules were. Yeah. Uh, I haven't written down. And, yeah, so there's ways to redo. I don't know if it's redo, because that might fuck with other people's moves. Like, people, they might have an opportunity to see them and stuff. So, I try to make it as fair as possible. Yeah. Um, so, I'm playing in it, and Aaron's also playing in it. Yep. So, I'm not... This email is going to be accessed once a week. Not, I'm not going to be going ahead and checking yeah. what other people's moves are before submitting my own. And there'll be a paper trail of emails so people don't, like, if someone gets angry, they can check it. Yeah. So your move would be you can enter an adjacent 
territory to one that you already control. And it's a hex map. So yep. you'll slowly expand your territory and gain control of different places. And some of the places are named and worth victory points and or have special rules. Yep. So victory points can be totaled up at the end of the campaign. So if you take control of a location that's worth three victory points, if you don't own it at the end of the campaign, it's not worth anything. Yeah. So there'll be a way to get points during the campaign if you submit uh, fiction or artwork or photographs to contribute to the narrative and to um, newsletters putting out there. Yeah. Uh, you'll get bonus points. I think I'm, it's capped at five. Yeah. So you can gain up to five bonus points by writing a little... Short stories or like paragraphs and stuff. Yeah, so even if you're like in, because there's a few areas that there's a little bit of a, a room to get to some of the areas, the key areas. Yeah, you still got you still got some time, even if you take like something that's only worth one. Yeah, um, there's the main hive that's represented by Saint Petersburg on the map, and the hive spire is worth seven points, which is a lot. And to take it, you have to control at least two other Hive territories. There's five total, including Spire. Um, and the map's kind of long, so there's two harbors on the map and a spaceport. So if you control a harbor, you can assault, like move into any coastal territory. Um, and in some cases, there's a bay with two bridges, so you have to control a bridge to be yeah. able to assault into the bay. But otherwise, that's, that's a way to move quickly across the map. If you have a spaceport, you can move into any unnamed, unoccupied territory anywhere on the map. So, which isn't quite as powerful. You can't like claim like in the on the harbor. You can assault into a territory. Yeah. Where this, it has to be an unoccupied territory. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of other locations with special rules and bonuses and stuff. Or um, yeah, unique unique things to them. Like we got a, a wave portal. Just weird stuff, yeah. like where the barrier between the warp and reality is thin, where it's like a research facility, yeah. the Omega facility, I think was the yeah. one you called. There's one that can call down orbital bombardments, yeah. one that, uh, the Forge, I think I changed the name to the Forge District. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, so we were, you can mastercraft all your characters' weapons yeah. and stuff. Yeah, so, and there's also going to be uh, relics. Yeah, that you pick up and like take around with you. So there'll be like banners and swords and stuff. Yeah. So those are gonna be the yeah. Aaron worked on those. Those were awesome. Yeah, I was I was very I I did an old campaign. We mm. on my old gaming group, we actually had artifacts that just did like crazy. Yeah, but little little trinkets like AP two sword. Yeah, exactly. That Which, swings out initiative. It's like dumb. that's great. Yeah. The other thing is is there's alliances that are allowed. Now, this isn't regulated by the game. If you, if anyone's played an old, there's an old school game, the name of which is escaping my memory. Diplomacy? Yeah, Diplomacy, thank you. That's kind of like Risk, but it, it's similar to this, where you submit your moves ahead of time, yep. and you're relying on uh, other players' words that they're going to support Gentleman's you. agreement. Yeah, so it's the same thing like that, of... Me and Aaron are going after the Omega facility, yeah. and Aaron's control of the orbital bombardment. He can lend me the orbital bombardment, and he has, when he submits his moves, he has to say, "I'm lending Ian. I'm allowing Ian to use this yeah. for this round." 
But if he doesn't put that in, I don't get to use it, even if I'm relying on it. Yeah. So that's sort of like stabbing me in the back, where it's like, oh, we're going to have a ceasefire along the Western Front. Don't yeah. come in to my territories. Yeah, that's fine. Then you can go submit your moves saying, like, oh, I'm going for Ian's. Yeah. Like, non-aggression pack, and then, oh, look, why is there all these space marines in my place? Yeah, so, like, it's definitely, like you said, gentlemen's agreements, and backstabbing is encouraged, especially if you're Dark Eldar. Uh, players are encouraged to only form alliances along, like, narrative lines outlined in like the allies chart but not it's not a requirement yeah um all i'm gonna say is 30k factions yeah yeah Uh, so army composition uh we allow 40 30k in this though no primarchs or named characters that's the restriction which i know sorry you don't get to no that's okay because like this represents like nomad fleets that might be yeah, exactly. Crusader pattern. Yeah. So, um, it's a, also an escalation. So we start at 500 points, and every two weeks it goes up another 250, eventually up to 20, eventually up to 3,000. The later weeks it might be going up faster. Yeah. Um, your army is a single combined arms detachment and up to one other, one allied detachment. And then if it's a game over 2,100 points, you may take a second combined arms detachment. That is the same faction as your primary detachment. So no unbound, no formations. Uh, Your allied detachment may be the same faction as your primary detachment, and you can never ally with come the apocalypse forces. So Tyranids can get that extra allied detachment to get extra guys in there. A lot of space marines can already ally with the, like other space marine chapters, yeah. so this just eliminates that. So if you're playing Dark Eldar, for example, and yeah. don't wanna don't wanna bring in Eldar or yeah. anything else, you can have like just a little allied detachment, get a third HQ choice, yeah. extra fast attack stuff like that. Or say your orcs, just so much orcs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, or if you want to ally in some Imperial Guard with your space marines, you can do that too. Uh, so some armies right now do not work well with that system, so we've made a few amendments. Harlequin players may take any elite's choice as an HQ instead. So Solitaire, Shadowseer, Death Jester, any of those can be your HQ for the mandatory either Combined Arms mandatory HQ or Allied Tashin mandatory HQ. Adeptus Mechanicus, right now there's two uh, codexes, and only one of them has an HQ choice. So Adeptus Mechanicus forces may take uh, selections from both Cult Mechanicus and Skitari as a single force orb, whether that's an allied force orb or a combined arms attachment force orb. So that gives you the option of taking the Cult Mechanicus, Magos Dominus, I believe is the name of it, as your HQ, but you can also take Skitari. And finally, Imperial Knights, Inquisition, and Officio Assassinorium, Imperial Assassins, those can all be taken as part of your regular Imperial Army combined arms or allied detachment. So you could have an army, I could take two tactical squads as my mandatory troops choices, an Inquisitor as my HQ and an Evasaur Assassin as an elite choice, and an Imperial Knight 
as a Lord of War on yeah. the same Space Marine detachment. That also gives, because Adeptus Mechanicus forces don't have a lot of HQ choices, they only yeah. have the one. This opens it up, you can take an Inquisitor as your HQ instead. Yeah. Uh, the only problem with this is Imperial Knights cannot be run as their own force. Um, so if you want to run this campaign in your own gaming group, and apologize to your Imperial Knights players, but I couldn't figure out a way to do it, and we don't have any in our local club, so... I think that's army. Oh, one more army restriction. Games under a thousand points cannot bring the Lord of War. Games between a thousand and fifteen hundred may not bring uh, gargantuan creatures or super heavies. Yeah, so but they could bring like Dante or other Lords of War. Yeah, so no Stampa at a thousand points. Yeah, you need to be at least fifteen hundred to get a Stampa Imperial Knight. Shadow Sword, whatever. Yeah, which isn't too, which isn't too bad. Yeah, and then games three thousand up, Apocalypse rules. So you throw out the Force Orb chart. The only restriction is at Apocalypse, you cannot bring armies that are come the Apocalypse on the Allies chart. Um, I think that's it for army restrictions. Oh, and we are running a painting restriction. So all models have the preferred enemy unpainted models special rule. Yeah. So if you're firing or fighting a gray plastic or just primed units, you can reroll ones to hit into wound. Yeah, so that's that's kind of more for us to try to get more people to start painting. Yeah, well, I said a while back that the next campaign I was going to run was going to have a painting restriction. And this was very controversial when we were discussing. I posted up on the forums like a uh, the preview of the rules and people were discussing it and it was very controversial but in the end I, that's the campaign I want to run I put my foot down that's how we're running it so I think that's pretty much the basis of the rules we're yeah. going to run it uh, what is it 8 to 10 weeks I think around that time 10 at least for sure 8 with a possibly 10 week yeah so uh, the rules in the booklet will be posted around the same time this podcast drops. So if yeah. you want to look at the full rules, they'll be up there. I'm really excited. We've already got, I think, nine players signed up yeah. right now. It's, I, it's starting at 16 slots. If we get more than 16 players, I'll need to adjust the map. Yeah, but it'd be nice. It'd be really cool to see all that. Yeah. Like, I'm just happy we got the m- amount we do. Yeah, we well, the we can nine players, we can run it comfortably. Yeah. Uh, no player is going to start right next to a player. So uh, if you're eliminated, you're out. So if you expand into a t- territory that is already controlled by another player, you play a game 40k. Yep. Or if you both expand in the same territory, you play a game 40k. Yeah. Or if you have something crazy and there's four players attacking one point. Yeah, I'm going to put in a, a four-player and hopefully a three-player mission yep. into the booklet. The... Other thing is, if you you don't need to play because it's weekly turns, that's a little much for people to be able to get yeah. together. So you can bank your game. So me and Aaron uh, are like constantly hit, our forces are constantly engaging one another, yeah. and we have three territories that are contested. We can play one game to resolve all those yeah. territories in one go. And you'll have three weeks to resolve your games. Otherwise, uh, there'll be either one player will forfeit or both players will lose the territory. Yeah. So it's a it's a nice grace period because like 
some people school work every, yeah who knows absolutely three days or three weeks uh, it's very good grace period because you should get hopefully one day to match up yeah between that I mean the problem is if you've like uh, contested territories with four different players that's four games you yeah. have to play but that it's it's going to be a campaign that's going to require more of a commitment from its players like you can't just play one or two one battle in like one phase and then come in for the apocalypse or something not that there's anything wrong with that no, but no, for no. this it it's going to require a commitment yeah and I'm hoping players realize that because it's going to kind of let everyone down if they just drop out halfway through. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously real life happens. Not yeah. Everything's foreseeable, but... But it, it'll be it'll be interesting for not only us as, like, running a campaign, but yeah. just to see how see how the club did, and likes this kind of style. Yeah, and this is much more complex than any other campaign I've run. I don't know if you've run map campaigns or... I've ran a few. Like ran a few. Okay. Yeah. Lots of drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, that's the Romanov heresy for you. I've done an overview of that, and really excited to get started on that. That's It starts January 3rd. That's also, that's the first Sunday in January. It's also a Greater Windsor Table Warriors Club Day, so I'm going to have the packages there to hand out to people. I'm going to have the map. We'll do first round of moves probably that probably day probably a few depending on how many we get i might even do a couple rounds that day yeah so that people because um no players going to start right next to each other right so they would need a couple of moves to get yeah. in combat so i might do bring some like cards and people write down their yeah. moves uh although that won't work out not everyone can make it that day well, so, we'll figure it out. Play by ear. Maybe I'll get people to pre-submit moves if they can't make it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of in a it's a shitty time of the year for me because I'm going to be heading back to Toronto area over yeah. Christmas, so I won't have access to like my computer to do up like the booklet and stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to rush to get that done beforehand, get everything posted. And then I can do while you're gone. I can do admin stuff, whatever. You yeah. Need. Well, I'll, I'll internet access. I just won't have the programs on my computer to do okay. publications and editing and stuff. That's why I'm going to try and get this episode turned around. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really hope you guys have enjoyed this segment. Um, re- really on the on campaigns specifically, the Romanov Heresy, I Toy Soldiers. Check it out. And the campaign's live there. If you're local to Windsor or Detroit area and want to participate, sign up. Yeah. I'm, if there's not enough room, I will make room. Yeah, and so. uh, for those that can't, say you're uh, all the way down in Florida, uh, stay tuned because, as Meaning said, uh, we're going to do also like little newscasts, little write-ups, so you might still like the uh, fiction that gets written. Yeah, any of these campaigns that we've talked about tonight are on iToy Soldiers, and you can run them yourself for your own gaming group through that website. Uh, check it out for the, the main page. Hit the War Zones menu, go to Narrative Campaigns, War for Raxus, Hunt for the World Thief, Romanov Heresy. They're all up there, and you can run them. And there will be more coming up. Um, yeah. So, And if you uh, want the booklet, just shoot me a message. I can send you the PDF. You can print it off yourself or digitally distribute it to your players. I have no problem doing that, so happy to help. Uh, I think that just wraps up this segment, and we'll be back with the Beyond the Rim. Alright, we're back 
This is the wrong side of the maelstrom for our Beyond the Rim segment. And tonight we are talking about Fantasy Flight Games game, Star Wars Armada, which is a fleet-based game of capital ships in the Star Wars universe during the Galactic Civil War area, which is the original trilogy. So Star Destroyers, Mon Calamari Cruisers, Medical Frigates, Blockade Runners, all that fun stuff. Got X-Wings, TIE Fighters flying around, oh, yeah. big battles, stuff blowing up constantly. Yeah. So before we started recording tonight, Aaron and I played a 400-point game, which is the new tournament standard now that uh, Wave 2 is released with its gigantic Imperial-class Star Destroyer and MC-80 Mon Calamari Cruiser, a.k.a. Home 1, which yeah. is the flagship for the Rebellion, Admiral Akbar. Episode 6. I'm such a huge Star Wars nerd, so I'm just going to be throwing out numbers like that all, hey, it's okay. all day. Um, Wikipedia is your friend if you don't know. Yes. Yeah, Wikipedia is awesome. It's like Lexiconum, but better. Because Star Wars is bigger than Warhammer. <laughs> yeah, lightsabers, Jedis. Yeah, I can't go wrong. So this game, let's do a quick overview. To get into it, it's steep price point. But if you play Warhammer... It's cheap. You know, so. I, I would disagree actually on that. Actually, because it's cheaper in the long term for right now. For right now. Because you only have to buy a few ships and then you're done. Yeah. It, oh. But, like, for example, X Wing is a lot cheaper than this. Mm, I don't know about that. I think so. The starting point is half. The starting kit is half the cost and the ships are generally half. You can do, you can do 400 points for $100. Really? Yeah. Star Destroyer, Victory Star Destroyer, upgrades, TIE Fighters. I guess. Yeah, but you need to. You oh, well, first off, you need to buy. Okay, you need to buy the core set, which is a hundred yes. bucks generally retail. Or buy two if you got a friend. Buy two. Yeah, and then swap out your parts. So yeah. the core set comes with everything you need to play, all the measuring sticks, tokens, dice, stuff like that, and it comes with one Victory class Star Destroyer. One Nebulon B frigate, which is all, aka the medical frigate, and one CR90 Krillin Corvette, aka the blockade runner, mm. plus four X-wing squadrons and six Tie Fighter squadrons. Five, I think. Five Tie. No, it's six. Okay, I'm pretty sure. Five or six Tie Fighter squadrons in the core set. Google has the info. Um, yeah, that rounds. You can do decent games with just the core yes. set with two people. Lots of fun. If you're local to Windsor, Brimstone has the core set in their game board games library, so you can try it out before you want to get involved with it. Just stop by the store. Right. That's how I got involved with it. Me and my roommate went and played it. Um, then they've got two waves of ships out, so all the ships that are in the core set are available individually to purchase. Yep. Plus some other ones. We mentioned the Big Star Destroyer and the Mon Cal. A couple of other Mon Cal yep. frigates are available. Yeah, there's the uh, Rebel Assault Frigate, yeah. some different types of Star Destroyers, uh, more squadrons, uh, TIE Advances, TIE Bombers. B-Wings, A-Wings, yeah. all that fun stuff. So it's only done Wave 2, so the ship selection is, say, much smaller than X-Wing. But the miniatures are great. They're, compared to Warhammer, very reasonably priced. People might say it's expensive, but I think it's... I, I, I think cheaper... I think it's cheaper, for, yeah. depending on how you want to do it. Yeah, and it's pre-painted, so yeah, pre-built, pre-painted. You don't need a the the t- the squadrons aren't painted, but they're really small. So yeah, but the the uh, eye catchers are definitely painted. Yeah, so. 
And you're looking at between 20 and 50 bucks, depending on the size of each ship. The, the Imperials class star as far as the only one that's 50 right now most are like 30 to 40 bucks yeah so I got into the game with the starter set and then the two capital ships the Mon yeah. cruiser and the Imperial class star destroyer and slowly just I, I think I've decided I'm gonna collect yeah like get try and get one of each ship unless yeah. it's like a ship I hate and they also just look cool on the shelf just chill yeah. out oh yeah and I got one of my roommates into it. He's pretty hyped because he never got into X-Wing very much, but he's been enjoying this game. We've been playing a lot. And it's really fun just playing. And it's, like, really straightforward, the rules, yeah. I find. I mean, there's... You can get nitpicky with line of sight and stuff. That's kind of hard to figure out sometimes, but... Well, I can tell you the first time I played this, me and uh, my roommate... We picked up a starter set, uh, we then picked up a 40 whiskey, and then proceeded to play two games half-bombed. So it's yeah. doable, people, it's doable. <laughs> well, I was at our friend's place with um, the stuff I picked up to start, and we were doing like a three-way game, and one of the guys playing with and never played any miniature war game before, mm-hmm. and you know, he had had a few to drink, and yeah. I think we all had, well, I hadn't at that point, but. Like, intoxicated players were able to pick up the game pretty quickly. Yeah. So, it's... Because it's all color-coded dice, special eight-sided dice. It's all, like, pre-measured yeah. uh, measuring sticks and stuff, so... So, this is a very much a beer and pretzel game, I would say. Yeah, I mean, they do play it competitively as well. Yeah. They've yeah. had world champions and stuff. Yeah, so... But you can have, like, any mix. So, if you're a casual player and you like Star Wars... Pick it up. Try it out. If you're a competitive gamer, it's got that competitive play, too. Yeah. Uh, If you've played X-Wing before, you'll be be able to pick it up pretty quick. It's similar to that. Although it's different because you shoot before moving, where in X-Wing you move before you shoot, and that can throw you off if you haven't been playing X-Wing. Fleet building is awesome. It's got characters in the movies and stuff, and, like, you can trick out ships. Yes. Like... The Defiance, an MC-80 Mon Cal cruiser that has a broadside of something like obscene dice, yeah, like 9 or 10 dice I fired at you today. Yeah, uh, Ian, uh, I noticed like you, this is how Ian, I think, builds his ships. It's like, how much shit can this thing throw out? Yeah. Uh, usually everything, a kitchen sink, and maybe like a pizza too, we're yeah. not sure. It's, I, I was really expecting to be playing Imperials. When I first bought this, because I, the Star Destroyer is the iconic ship, but the Mon Cal cruisers, I loved them when I was a kid, and that, that I've just been drawn back to them. Yeah. And they are deadly with the broadsides. Admiral Akbar gives some extra dice and stuff, and I've really been yeah. going with the Rebels a lot. I haven't even played Imperials since the very first time oh, wow. I played just the starter set. I have, so. in my experience, I've only played Imperials. Even though I own Rebels. Yeah. No, it's such a fun game. Um, highly recommend. And it's great. Like, I, okay, I haven't played other fleet-based games. Ex- yeah. I've played X-Wing a lot, but I haven't played Battlefleet Gothic or Firestorm or Hada. But I've, I've, like, for me, like, i played a lot. Like, I got Battlefleet Gothic, yeah. Halo Fleet Wars, X-Wing, and now Armada. Um, you know, if you played Firestorm Armada, no, I have not. Okay, no, that's so, that's on the list. But so, how does this game compare to Battlefleet Gothic and Halo oh. Wars and 
Okay, Battlefleet Gothic... X-Wing is a bit of a different scale. Battlefleet Gothic is a different beast than this. Mm -hmm. Um, Battlefleet Gothic, it takes a lot of time to learn. um, Because there's a lot of special rules like boarding, craft, and there's different charts. and stuff, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, if you're... Say you got two ships coming at each other, they count as, uh, I can't remember, a beam. So pretty much the amount of shots you get is X amount. Or if you're going side by side, going the same way... you may have different shots. Interesting. So it's very, it's very rule intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then playing X-Wing, yeah, you can pick it up and it's pretty easy going. Halo Fleet Wars, um, that's, that's, I would say it's not as intensive as Battlefleet Gothic, but it's up there. Yeah. Um, but Armada, I like the most. It just, it's, it's easier to get into. Uh, the rule book, it's, it's very well done. Yeah, the rule book's small. It's not huge. Yeah. Easy um, to pick up. Uh, the rules for each individual ship are printed on cards, so like you don't need to flip through a codex to get the yes. rules. It's similar to X-wing, where you've upgrade cards yeah. and ship cards, and it's that's they're also on the base too, like the number of dice that your broadside fires, the number of shields that it has, and stuff like that. So it's yeah. very intuitive. The um, how the shields work, how the firing works. Yeah. It's but it's straightforward. Like yeah. that's why I like it. Like even like uh, Halo Fleet battles, like you can have ships in different kinds of formations, and then they do different things. Yeah. So it's it takes a bit, but this is why I like Armada because it's like you know your starter destroyer, you know what it does. Mm-hmm. It's got it written even on even if you didn't exactly have the car, it's kind of written on the base of the model. Yeah, exactly. Because you see, Landsat. If you're planning out your moves, you glance like, okay, I don't want to get in front of that Star Destroyer because I see eight little dice printed on its base, and that's bad. Yeah, Eight's a lot. <laughs> but, so. it, but it has some complexity. Well, I, it definitely has complexity because you got to think ahead. you got to think of um, yeah, you, so, your movement. So your bigger ships, you have to plan two to three turns in advance. Yes. What orders you're giving them. So to slow down, for example you need to give it a specific navigate order. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not slowing down, and some of the bigger ships aren't very maneuverable, so they could be flying off the board. First time I played this game, I flew my Victory Starters for off the board. Last week when we played, I <laughs> flew my Frigate off the board. Yep. Today, I did not fly anything off the board, though. But you rammed your ship. Yeah, I rammed my own ship. <laughs> and I almost ran 20 years. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I hit a debris field. Yeah. So it so it takes some time to like really master this game, I, yeah. I think. But you pick it up, but then you take that time. So well, it's not like you don't need a measuring tape. It's got this nifty maneuvering tool yeah. that, like again, really intuitive. You kind of place it down, uh, fiddle with it so that it's got these notches on there. So you just click it over to the right. Uh, yaw value you're going for, how far it's turning, yeah. and hit it up. It's it's pretty nice, and, it's, and it's, like I said, it's very straightforward. Like you take the stick, you put it at the end of your base, and then you already clicked it over, and then you can kind of you move it along this. Yeah. So it's it's very nice instead of like, eh, I want to kind of measure this out, measure this out. You know, you're at a certain speed, which you have to set. Yeah. And then you just go on this little stick that starts from zero, one, two, three, four. Oh, look, I'm going at three. Pop it at the three. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if you're, you can check it out online and see, like, the components we're talking about. But 
like I said, I taught someone how to play this who was intoxicated and had never played a war game before. And he picked it up within an hour. Yep. So I think it's a it's a I think it's a fantastic game. Uh they've announced that Specialist Games is coming back, so it looks like Battlefleet Gothic may be coming back. Yeah. But if they didn't do that, I was going to adapt this system to Warhammer. It's definitely, so. it's definitely. They both got their shines to it. It's the yeah. best way. Um, but, but yeah. it's cool stuff. It's cool stuff. So. And one day, I'm sure there will be a superstar destroyer, which is awesome. <laughs> I'll only buy three. I swear. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely pick one up because I love that show. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I I was on Wikipedia the other day looking up all the different ships in the Rebel fleet. There are tons. Yeah, there's there are hog like ragtag. It's really yeah. a rebellion. And same with the Imperials, they have all these different Star Destroyer variants and yes. stuff. So and Fantasy Flight Games is licensed to make new stuff. Yeah. So like the Raider class Corvette is new. I think the Gladiator class Star Destroyers. Nope. No. Okay. Yep. But the Raider FFG made. Yes, that is new. That yeah. is uh, out of all their things. That's the that is their unique one. Yeah, which originally was made for X-Wing. Yeah, yes. It's also in Armada. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we had a we had a very interesting game. So just to give you a rundown. Oh yeah, we should probably talk about the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know the main thing. So, uh, well, tell me, like, tell us right now, like, what did you have in your fleet? Like, just a general. Like, all right. What so my my flagship was uh, the big Moncal cruiser, home one style guy. I had a Moncal frigate, which is like close range and fast. I had the Nebulon B medical frigate, CR ninety Corvette, blockade runner, and three squadrons of X wings. So four ships, three squadrons. Yeah. All uh, the frigate, the sorry, the Mon- two Moncal ships were kitted out with upgrades, and the other two ships, the Nebulon and the Corvette, I kind of just left blank to just kind of take a beating. And what did you have there? So, uh, for my fleet, I went uh, pretty, I think, straightforward. So, I had a uh, Star Destroyer that was an outfit for, like, engineering and uh, a lot of firepower. Then I had two Victory... Star Destroyers, uh, yeah, yeah. Victory 1s uh, that were fitted with missiles and extra armaments. So, Victory 1s have more black dice, which are more close range. Yeah. Yes. So, they they're, they fight at knife range. Uh, <laughs> and then I had two TIE Interceptors, two TIE Bombers... And a single Tie Fighter Squadron, yeah. Um, and those were those were really fun. To the use. interceptors are deadly. Yes, like, I was surprised. And the yeah. bombers did some work too. So yeah, they're uh, very beefy. So my fleet was designed around firepower and trying to outlast. So it's not fast; it's just trying to hammer yeah. you down. So I started off by sending the Moncal ships flanking to my right. And they tangled with one of your victories. Meanwhile, I kind of sent my fighters and my other two ships against your Imperial Star Destroyer and your second victory. And most of your fighters, just to kind of like keep them at bay. And yeah. just gonna try and, I was going for like a piecemeal strategy, like okay. taking down one ship at a time. And I was expecting to lose the Nebulon and the Corvette. That was my plan. Yeah. And uh, kind of got into a stalemate with that victory with my Mon Cal. Oh. You rammed it twice. Oh, I want to kind of talk about that sure, part. Sure, yeah. So my fleet, uh, it was very technically very straightforward. So I deployed Victory or my uh, capital ship, my flagship, my Imperial Star Destroyer in the middle, 
TIE fighters flanking it, and then my two victories on the side. And my one goal, which it did do, my one victory, was to ram and stall his flagship. Yeah. I don't know how much stalling he did, because I was able it to destroy it. It down. It slowed it down. Because mine, it wasn't to kill it. Yeah. It was pretty much actually because you'd just be slow. Yeah. So, uh, most of my ships are rock- rocking serious broadsides. So my uh, Moncal frigate did a nice broadside on oh, that yeah. victory. And then my uh, Moncal capital ship came up, my flagship came up, and it t- managed to take out the victory with its forward guns, which are not very powerful yeah. compared to the broadsides. And once that was out of the way, it was able to move um, up a little further. And then your flagship, the Imperial yep. Star came in. Perfect broadside range, all my dice going. I had like 9, 10, or 11 dice. Rolled them all. And forgot one red die. So... You could feel you, the hatred in them right now. For, for myself. <laughs> so... I didn't have any accuracy icon, icons which uh, negate your defensive yep. maneuvers. So you were able to do a bunch of things to like half the damage, redirect the damage to other shield zones and stuff like that. And I ended up doing, uh, what, like six or eight damage or something? Yeah. And that one stripped seven, off like it was seven. Yeah. Because you had taken three points and it did seven damage and it has 11 hull points. So you had one. Hull point away from killing your flagship. And then I, like, oh, I forgot this die. Can I just roll this one yeah. extra die? Roll it. It's an accuracy, which would have negated your brakes, which means you would have taken 14 damage. Yeah. yeah. But, oh. he's like, but he's like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. No, because it's like, okay, well, I forgot to do it. I'm yeah. going to learn, and now I will never forget it. So I crippled your flagship, and then... Next turn, it your flagship hell. fires back and just hauls my Von Cal cruiser, and that was pretty much the game. Yeah, so you can just see this this star destroyer that hit an asteroid on oh, fire, yeah, yeah. on fire, just returning hell. Oh, like, it was so that beautiful. Was, that was the deciding moment, and then my remaining ships were like kind of chasing your victory, and yeah. they just got taken out. Yeah, one by one, and your fighters took on my X wings too. Yeah, my my fighters they do they did very well. Yeah, my X wings are just there to like stall bombers, right? They're not yeah. there to do damage. They're just trying to like be a fighter screen. Yeah. So yeah, that tactic almost worked. I played uh, my roommate Bio the other night, yeah, and I managed to lock his victory between my two Mon Calamari <laughs> ships. So if you ram a ship. You both take a point of damage, and then the ramming ship reduces its speed and then tries to do a maneuver at that speed instead. And if it still can't do it, you keep reducing your speed and taking damage until yeah. you get to zero. And if you're at zero, you don't get any defensive maneuvers, so you can't evade, brace, or redirect. So that's how I managed to kill your victory, because yeah. he was at zero right in front of my Star Destroyer, or my uh, Mon Cal oh. ship. Yep. And then it's like, okay, well, you can't do any... And actually, that's how my ship died. Yep. Too, because my Mon Cal cruiser accidentally rammed <laughs> the other Mon Cal ship and went to speed zero, so I didn't have any defensive tokens. Yeah. So, but um, with Firestar Destroyer, I had these like it was facing the side of my Mon Cal capital ship, and then my Mon Cal frigates behind it, and just between the two, they annihilate this thing between a rock and hard place. Yeah, there. pretty much. So 
That was a really fun game. We played uh, to the death, so we didn't use any missions or anything yeah. or keep track of turns. Uh, I could have, I probably could have called it after the Moncal capital ship went down, but I wanted to put the death blow on that Imperial Star Destroyer. So here's his uh, burning uh, Nebulon Beam frigate trying to make a beeline against his Victory Star Destroyer. And it's just, it didn't, it well, wasn't good. No, it was going, it was heading for the Imperial Star Destroyer, but I had to pass your victory yeah. to get there, and it just got tuned. Yeah. So, that was unfortunate. And but, it, like, I knew what was happening at that point. I was just going for broke. Yeah. I will so, say, yeah. Bomber, MVP at the end there. Yeah. Uh, MVP for me is the uh, portside gunners on the Defiance. Oh, God. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, they, they would have got promoted if they lived. Worst player, uh, worst and or like least valuable player was whoever was driving the Defiance. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because that fucked me over. Yeah, but see, that's, that's what we were talking earlier. Like, it's an easy game to get into, but you got to kind of master it a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, like planning ahead is, it's not easy for me. Like, I, it's, I, it's a game changer. Like, I need to be thinking where the ships are going to be next turn. I got a plan to slow down ahead of time, stuff like that. But definitely an awesome game. Yeah. Really happy I got into it. And and we're still learning the rules. Like we yeah. have to look up a ton of rules and stuff. Like we're getting I, things wrong and then relearning and it's like but that's yeah. that's that, that's the fun of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add about Armada? Get it? It's awesome. Get it. Seriously. Go to your yeah. lo- local hobby shop. If they don't have it, ask them to order it. Fantasy Flight's great Yeah, uh, for that kind of stuff. Yeah, Brimstone Games has it uh, at, a, at their usual uh, board game discount, so it's yeah. pretty cheap. If you're in Toronto, Meeple Mart has it pretty cheap, too. Yeah, just ask for your local hobby. Uh, also, you can order it online. Thankfully, uh, Fantasy Flight seems to be better with their production right now. So you can actually order these online, and I actually checked this morning because I was looking for Star Destroyers. Yeah. Uh, Book Depository online is a good place to order that stuff, too. Oh, Amazon, too. Yeah, Amazon usually has it as well. Uh, They also have crazy, like, 15-minute sales on Amazon sometimes. I've seen that for X-Wing, and it's really weird, but yeah, sometimes you can Fire sales. Yeah. All right, I think that's about it. We'll be right back to close out the show. Alright, we're wrapping up episode 5 of Wrong Side of the Maelstrom. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Man. Yeah, it's good that you came on because we haven't had an episode in a while. So hopefully you just drop this right before Christmas. Yeah. Go out. Um, you mentioned your blog near the beginning of the show. What is it again? Yeah, it's uh, General Soban uh, and the Great Crusade. You can find it on uh, Google. And uh, I think Ian's going to put it, a wonderful link on his Facebook page, I assume? Yeah, I'm going to put it on the Facebook page. I post each podcast to uh, iToy Soldiers as well, so I'll include it there. Um, check out iToysoldiers.com. You can find this podcast on there. You can talk to us on the forums. You can load Your gaming group can have its own section on that website. Yep. Too. That's where ours is hosted. Uh, check it out on Facebook. Uh, us on Facebook. Wrong Side of the Maelstrom. Facebook.com slash Wrong Side of the Maelstrom. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave a review if you want. I don't know if we have any reviews yet. Uh, 
Uh, if you need to message me through email, it's wrongsideofthemaelstrom at gmail.com. And you can find us on SoundCloud as well as iTunes. If nothing else, iToy Soldiers, you'll be able to find it yeah. there. But yeah, again, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, sign up for the Romanov Heresy if you're local to Windsor. And uh, we'll be seeing you on the wrong side of the mess.